Internet Report, where we uncover what's working and what's breaking on the internet and why. This week, I'm joined by my colleague, Mike Hicks. He's coming to us from Perth, Australia. Thank so you. welcome, Mike. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. <laughs> so on, on this episode, um, we're going to talk a lot about um, SATCOMs. Um, mm -hmm. And we also have a great guest on the show that uh, Mike interviewed, and that's going to be um, really interesting to listen to. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, but first up, we wanted to address uh, some of the major headlines, and one of them had to do with TikTok and the U.S. government's announcement that they were effectively going to remove financial incentives uh, for TikTok to uh, continue to operate in the U.S. because it's going to, in 45 days, uh, ban financial transactions between uh, TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, and U.S. citizens. So when that does take uh, effect, that's really going to remove any reason for them to continue to operate. Um, so while it's it's not outright banning them, but they're, you know, because they're not going to be able to, for example, um, have any transactions where they're um, paid for advertising, for example, from U.S. companies, then, you know, they, they, there really wouldn't be any reason for them to continue to, to stay here. Yeah, I'm not in it for the, uh, the, the good of the people, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. But let's say for the sake of argument that the application itself or the service itself was um, was banned um, yep. in terms of how the U.S. government would do that. Um, I mean, we can look at other instances in which, for example, a website or an application maybe is infringing on um, the the trademarking or intellectual property, or it's been found yep. to um, have uh, illegal content on it, or yep. there's fraud involved. Um, there are a number of things that the authorities can do in the U.S. in order to shut down a site. Um, one yep. of the things they can do is they can go to the uh, DNS uh, registrar or the domain registrar for the uh, the domain, like in this case TikTok, and basically say like, hey, um, you know, you need to revoke um, that domain. Um, or they could go to their uh, U.S. vendors like um, their CDN provider or whoever's hosting mm -hmm. them or their DNS hosting provider, um, like Akamai, for example, serves their content. Um, and, and go about it that way, um, there really wouldn't be an incentive to do it from a network standpoint. Um, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Everything's technically feasible, but it becomes the, how much effort you put into to, uh, to achieve that. So, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. And even, even say like if they really wanted to go rogue and they wanted <laughs> to serve the application outside of the U.S. and U.S. Uh, uh, users wanted to go um, you know, and access the application. If they have to, especially because we're talking about video, you know, if, if they're not connecting, if US users are not connecting to the application in the US, you know, so they're going like, let's say to Europe or to, you know, another part of the world to connect to the application, then yeah. their performance isn't gonna be very good. So it's not gonna be a very um, enjoyable experience. And for that reason, again, you're probably not gonna need to do to need to take any further action in order to prevent US users from using the service. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be that user experience, you know, and it, there was in the early days, everybody started setting up these little servers on oil rigs and uh, independent domains, but you lose that whole CDN aspect. Right, so, right. 
everything's not close. So I'm making these huge journeys. So everything looks like I'm in Perth trying to get out to get some sort of decent network connectivity. So yeah, yeah. It's, it becomes not worth it. Exactly right. Exactly. And, and preventing users from reaching a particular uh, service, like for example, um, what they do in China, um, mm. you know, there are basically three major service providers in China um, and heavily regulated versus, you know, thousands in the United States. And, yeah. you know, they all have their own ways of operating their network. So while it's technically theoretical to do things like uh, IP address um, blacklisting yeah. or intercepting DNS queries, it's not foolproof and it's not really feasible or practical at the scale yeah. that would be required. And exactly would be right. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, all comes back to the main thing: take away the revenue source, all that becomes exactly. unnecessary. So. Exactly. All right. Okay. So, um, kind of moving past kind of the technical uh, possibilities or feasibility of a band like this, um, we were talking a few weeks ago about the um, SpaceX's Starlink. Um, so supposedly low latency, uh, low orbit satellite uh, system that is mm -hmm. currently um, wanting to bid for um, the FCC's high speed um, kind of rural connectivity project that they have going on in the US. Yeah. Um, and you had talked to um, uh, someone who had previously, he's been in the networking industry for um, over 20 years, and you worked with him in SATCOMs um, at the European Space Agency. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ray, Ray Hunter was talking about that. So we were having this conversation and we, we covered a lot of this there. But, but one of the, the things that, that came out was um, that we were, we were talking specifically about the uh, the Starlink stuff and um, the low latency aspect. And, and you know, it's, it, it's totally feasible to do this you know everybody can have a low latency link we can do it between point a and point b very quick we can we can have small packets we can get this fast uh, lead there but one of the points ray brought up was that's irrelevant everything you talk about from low latency has got to come from the application ultimately right. the end user experience so it starts to get into all those aspects so it's um yeah it, it's kind of interesting and it, there's other other things that start to impact us as well on on um when we start to get into this wireless and these satcoms whether it be geostationary, whether it be microwave links, you know, which, which is a form of that type of uh, connectivity. And, and there's, there's, we're starting to have other out, outside influences. So whereas you know, we're dealing with an ISP, a, 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 a backhoe can dig up a fiber link and cut that connection across from there. Uh, it's, it is extreme, it does happen, but it's extreme there. Whereas that can, we're, we're impacted by things like the weather when we start talking about the, the right. satellite situations right. and the environment, the, the, the sea and, and whatever takes in place there. So. Exactly, exactly. And I know you guys are going to get into a little bit like the differences between traditional satellites and kind of the Starlink constellation satellites and how it's different yeah. in terms of, um, you know, your, your relationship to the satellite itself. Um, but um, one of the things that we were looking at earlier was an example where there was um, satellite connectivity between um, two stations um, over a body of water. So there was a, a body of water between them and just how weather sensitive this method of transport is because we could see that there was significant attenuation of the signal on like this regular basis. So it was something like every seven hours because of like yep. the tide going in and out. Yep. Um, so there's, you know, um, if we kind of look here, 
we can see, for example, um, you had this uh, instance here where, so on the, the, the two points on the far left and the far right are basically where the, um, the satellite uh, kind of stations were, right? So the satellite right. dish, is that right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, the, 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 the two endpoints across from there. You know? mm -hmm. this, just, just to get to that, there's a, you know, there's a reason and, and, and um, we have to do this situation because there's no other way to get there. There's no submarine cables, right. there's no other way. So, right. you know, it's, it's actually not a long distance. It seems ridiculous mm -hmm. to send it up into the air and back again. Um, but it's, it's just the only way to actually achieve that connectivity. So yeah, it's two essentially ground stations at, at um, either, either end of a connection. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, what we're seeing here is that kind of on the top, um, yeah. there's like this, you know, you can see kind of like these little pyramids here and they're sort of representative of these um, and they're, they're spaced, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, the same uh, length of time apart and we'll get like this kind of 9% packet loss on the regular, and then it will just go, go away. So, you know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you can tie those directly in with the, with the tidal patterns and there's other aspects that come in because this is effectively, or is coming across the body of water. And yeah. as you mentioned, the, the attenuation pulls down, it has this impact on the radio waves, which is essentially what we're mm -hmm. talking about here. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, this, even if we start to get choppy water, it can start to change these types wow. of things. So, so you can have different patterns that come across from there. And know, so you could lose signal during the winter months where the weather is really choppy. You've got a sort of two meter mm -hmm. swell occurring because start to have a dra dramatic impact across from these. Mm -hmm. So, so what they do in, in those instances there, you see, you've got this irregular pattern, you can predict around it. So you just build the applications to, to sort that. You effectively start to have almost a little CDN where, where mm -hmm. a lot of the information sits on site and we just go out for updates. Uh, you can sort of shift those patterns. So the application is is suited to meet the the network's uh, requirements across from there, which mm -hmm. is a lot of what what Ray talks about when we start to get into the uh, the satellite communications. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really it's it's really kind of down to the application provider to tune their application in such a way so that it's optimized for um, transport over something like satcoms um for example so and yeah yeah so so exactly. not really something that's necessarily controllable by the operator of the satellites um themselves no. so that that's no. an interesting bit about it because you know of course like you can claim low latency but from the standpoint of how is the application performing to a large degree that might be somewhat out of your control unless you're of course working Correct. with the application providers and they're incentivized to optimize their application uh, to go over this type of, of communication um, network. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I mean, what you have to do is whereas this might be part of my communications. So I need to understand what could be the characteristics of this. And as exactly as you say, adapt my application to suit that because ultimately, as much as we want to love the think as a network is the key part, the end user experience is the one that's going to be the key driver in all of this. And exactly right. The incentives incentivized to actually use that from an application delivery point of view, what's in it for me to deliver that. That's right. So why don't you uh, tell us what's up next with uh, your interview with Ray? Yeah, thanks. So, um, so I sat down with Ray Hunter. Um, Ray Hunter has been in the, uh, is a network solutions consultant at uh, Globus based out of the Netherlands. Um, 
He's got over 20 years experience in sort of networking stuff. And as Angelique mentioned, I worked with him at the European Space Agency where we um, played around with a lot of SATCOMs to try and um, uh, optimize, deliver the application to, uh, to, to, to control things like sort of payloads on, on the shuttles, as well as um, delivering applications to scientists around the world uh, that come across in there. So very interesting chap. Um, both English natives, so you might actually need subtitles underneath, but no, it's, uh, it's very good. <laughs> Great, yeah, okay, well, let's take a listen. Well, I'm joined today by uh, Ray Hunter. Ray is the, uh, a network consultant with Globus, and he's got sort of uh, a lot of experience in terms of building networks, and then specifically in looking at sort of SATCOMs. So we really want to talk to you today, Ray, about uh, the, the SATCOMs, some of the new emerging technologies, and just really to uh, to understand how they're going to fit in in terms of living applications. Oh, hello. <laughs> so uh, let's start off. So satellite networks really come in all sort of manner and shapes and sizes. There's a multitude of techniques and technologies used to transmit the information. What do you consider a major driver for their usage? Up until now, um, the satcoms have been relatively limited in niche cases where we haven't had any coverage from traditional wired or wireless internet services. Mm. And the go-to model we've had has been to use a secure overlay over an insecure underlay transport network. So we would be using uh, standard internet over uh, copper or over fiber. Okay. And then the SATCOM area would be uh, used to, for the, the niche case where there wasn't any coverage at all. Uh, but Due to new technologies such as SD1, that there's uh, the opportunity to combine these insecure links in these variable availability links um, in a manner that allows you to create a, an end-to-end -end solution for the path that's more reliable than the individual links themselves. So I think that's where we're going to go. Is uh, smart path selection is going to help us to combine a lot of this technology into a, a single solution. So, so, so where we, you know, we, we're talking about these, these hard to reach places, um, we're talking really geographically dispersed or, or you know, is, is this something, is it a competing technology of like a four or 5G type of aspect or is it um, uh, really, there is no coverage there and this is the only way to get data in from a, from a SATCOM's perspective? I think it's very dependent on the actual geography we're talking about okay. because in, in some areas there just isn't any 4G or 5G. Yeah. And we're also seeing that um, from the a political perspective, there's actually some consumer pushback for 5G, because as, as you know, the, the higher frequency you, you use in the radio, the, mm -hmm. the, the lower the, the reach, so you actually need more towers for, for similar coverage. And there is uh, pushback from not in my backyard for the yeah. amount of towers that are getting deployed. So there, there is opportunity there. as depending on how the, the pricing and the availability of these computing, te competing technologies roll out uh, for other solutions. Um, the traditional would be where you have a very diverse uh, population, where it's actually um, too expensive to roll out the number of towers required to cover 4G or 5G. Yeah. If you look at the United States compared to Europe, in Europe you have very, very dense uh, coverage for um, Wi-Fi and also for 3G, 4G and 5G coming up, whereas the pricing of these technologies in the US is really an order of magnitude higher for, yeah. for cellular. Yeah, okay. 
so 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 price obviously becomes a consideration from there as well as the coverage type of stuff. Um, if, if we're talking around sort of some of the, the, the new systems, we say the satellites, we, we touched on sort of the LEO stuff, the low earth orbital satellites around from there. Um, does, do they give any benefits over that we would have from a traditional, when we're thinking back in time, um, sort of when, when you and I were talking, there was a lot of uh, geostationary types of satellites. Um, now we, we're starting to see these distribution of, of, of a low earth orbital stuff, the LEO stuff from there. Is there a difference in, um, in any of the perception of those systems or, or, um, or the expected outcome from those? You're definitely battling a, a perception issue from history in that in uh, the geostationary um, um, situation, you had a, two very big problems was the latency because yeah. the, the satellites are physically far away and the speed of light yeah. restrictions meant you had a fixed latency. And the other one was asymmetry was that because of uh, the way the bandwidths were licensed and be the, the size of dish you allowed to deploy, the bandwidth in one direction was very different to the bandwidth available in the other direction. Yeah. And that limited their use in some applications because it assumed that you were broadcasting data from a central point to multiple endpoints. Whereas yeah. a lot of people are actually working precisely the other way on. They are very dispersed sources of data like telemetry that they want mm -hmm. to concentrate in the central area and the other thing about the geostationary of course is that uh, you've only got one satellite typically and yeah. when you hit the equinox the sun goes in front of that uh, <laughs> that dish and you, you lose your connection for several minutes yeah. and I, i've certainly come across that situation on an oil platform where someone starts shouting at you to say fix the link and say give me 10 minutes you come back and the link's working okay and, and you're a genius because you fixed it because the sun's moved. That's excellent. So, I mean, just to, to, to qualify that, I guess the geostationaries, they sit around 35,000 kilometers and then yeah, low Earth orbital is sitting around, uh, well, depending from 200 to 1200 kilometers. I yeah, mean. and that's a huge difference in terms yeah. of the speed of light. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then the, the other difference, as you said, <laughs> the fact from a geostation, we're looking at a single satellite that, that goes with, the Earth's orbit, and then the, yeah. the, the LEO stuff is a, is a constellation. So we've got lots of little, lots of little, they're probably all the same size. We have a, a mesh of satellites um, around from there, but they, they essentially stay in place, and then the Earth turns, and then we do handoffs between each one. Yeah, and that's a, another good point to say, is that the, the latency for LEO is, is understood in that it, it's going to be a lot less. So the path may be shorter, but I don't think what's very well understood is how the handoff's going to work when you've got multiple satellites in view yeah. and or where the constellations are incomplete because these guys are still launching uh, their, their constellations. Yeah. And uh, or where users are located at high latitudes where the, the satellites may not pass as frequently overhead. Right, okay. Are they, they going to be impacted by sort of weather conditions? Obviously, space weather and, and whatever up from those and, and th that impact it. What about sort of down on, a, on a, um, a terra firma type of position? Is there sort of considerations around as well? Oh, certainly. I mean, uh, I've come across simple microwave uh, links yeah. where, where it rains and uh, the, the path bends yeah. and the, the microwave link no longer works over a very long hop. Yeah. And, and you have similar at these frequencies, you have similar effects. Um, I've also worked on systems where that rely on the weather using tropospheric scatter to bend the radio waves through clouds. Right. So this absolutely has an effect. And similarly, you have very, very physical effects that 
someone puts a crane in front of your dish <laughs> and um, you, you're, you, well, of course, with fiver, someone can dig up your fiver, but uh, you also have line of sight issues as well with dishes. Yeah, that's it. I had a similar one with the microwave. It was a tidal basin and it was as the tide dropped, it dragged the signal down. So yeah, right. I fully, yeah. un fully understand that. So yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so so we, we've got obviously these um, idiosyncrasies or these, these conditions we have to take in terms of the actual satellite delivery itself. Um, but there's obviously things you can do to tune that from a delivery perspective. Is, what would you recommend or what do you think or when you're tackling a satellite network or network includes satellite coverage, what do you do in terms of uh, tuning that from a, a performance perspective you know, to get the most out of it? We obviously have fixed things such as a latency or in, in some like the LEO, unknown latency, but is there anything else you can do or, or recommend that when you start to tune this from a delivery perspective? I think you have to look very much at the data you're transmitting. So there's definitely potential for exploiting synergies with upcoming technologies like SD1, where these the technology points between number of uh, differing paths with differing um, um, statistics, and then it chooses the correct path for that particular piece of data based on how the links are behaving at that moment. So. In traditional routing networks, you either had the link was up or the link was down, yeah. and then you routed based on that um, situation in the network. Now we're looking much more at how the path is selected based on the needs of the data itself. So you've got upcoming solutions like uh, SHIM-6, which combines a number of uh, IPv6 connections to the, um, together to form a tunnel. And you have other uh, situations like MIPV6, where the programmer, instead of uh, having to worry about all the individual links, just talks to the tunnel. But I think there's a lot of um, scope for improvement and a new technology there, because the programmers themselves are not used to dealing with this complexity. Programmers generally deal with a, a, a socket interface, which hasn't changed for many, many years. And that does not yet reflect these new technologies of the underlying links. Mm -hmm. And also the programmers themselves are just not used to dealing with the, uh, the problems that are, are, are below. So even one optimizers that can do things like local TCP ACK yep. um, and have application aware um, handoff to avoid the latency issues. I think there's still a lot of development to be done there. So it's a combination we're looking at. So we, we, we're saying, uh, the, the developers essentially are looking at, that they just consider the next hop to be their NIC, the interface coming out from the, the server or the application from that perspective. But if they can combine that intelligence with stuff we've got, you mentioned the mobile IPv6 and the, the, the shim uh, stuff as well. You know, those are obviously intelligence or, or intelligence within the network itself. So you're saying it's a combination of the two to give the best delivery mechanism. Yes, and, and there's a very much an ongoing debate of whether we need an intelligent network or mm -hmm. whether we need intelligent end devices. So um, the experience of the intelligent network has been very much uh, coloured, if you like, by the experience of X25 and those sorts <laughs> of technologies from the past, which were incredibly reliable. You put your packet in there and it came out at the other end and it, no questions asked, but the price wasn't right. And now we have a, very, a shift more towards with the experience of mobile phones, whereby the network is considered dumb and the end device has all of these different radios available to it. It has wireless, sometimes wired. It has 3G, 4G, 5G, whatever you want. 
potentially satellite as well in the future, and then the device itself has to work out the path. And I think we're going to come to some sort of middle ground where there will be some technologies emerge that allow um, the network to provide some smart solutions, mm -hmm. but there will also be some requirement on the end devices themselves for path, path selection. Cool, that's interesting. So this, this combination, like you say, you don't think about it with a mobile phone, but you can walk from one area to another, it just picks a hand off up and changes, you know, if I'm in the, 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 the office here or the house, it switches to the Wi-Fi. If I go outside, it picks up 4G um, and, and or seamlessly without me knowing. So, but it's a combination you're saying, you see that in the future. Absolutely. And, and it's very application dependent because to be honest, if my mobile phone doesn't work overnight for eight hours, and no one's trying to call me, it's not a problem. But if it drops for one second and my call drops when I'm on a call, sales call to a really important person, then I care about that. Yeah. So it's going to be very application dependent of what we're trying to solve in, in terms of the solution we, we deploy will be very linked to the use case that uh, we're trying to solve at the end of the day. Yeah, that's interesting. So that kind of brings us back, I guess, to the satellites, because a lot of these new uh, vendors who are starting to push the, the Leo stuff out there and they're, you know, from a marketing perspective, they're talking about low latency. Uh, you know, essentially, what, what you're saying there is that latency isn't the thing. And it is a thing. It's very important, but it's going to depend on the application, the use case and, and, and what it is we want to achieve uh, as, a, as a user. Absolutely. And, and they're marketing this latency because that's something they can do compared mm -hmm. to geostationary. And, and they've got to win that battle of perception, as yep. we stated earlier, that they need to remove this idea that satcoms is high latency. So I can understand why they're doing that. But it's not from a user perspective. It's not the be all and the end all. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially what we're saying is we've got to work with every technology. You know, we, we've got to be able to do what's best for my location on top of my application and what it is I want to achieve. You know, like you said, I'm talking to a, yeah. a, a CEO. I need to, my call to go through from talking to you and me chatting. <laughs> it doesn't really matter so much. So yeah. Okay. So that, that's very interesting. Well, and, and that will also change over time because the devices yeah. have become much more mobile and it used to be that devices were just plugged in the wall and that was it. But now the, the, the mobile device is moving with you all over the place. We've got wearable tech coming up. We've got internet things yeah. which are placed in vineyards to monitor crops. So the, the internet really is exploding and developing uh, at this time. It, it, it's a very dynamic time in the industry. Yeah, and then on top of that, I guess, then those, you know, back to you about the intelligent path selection uh, aspect, those are going to be dynamic and changing all the time, depending on what's going on. So it's important to understand those yes. paths through there. And then, you know, does the characteristics match this? So, yeah, I can see this need for this merging of, of, of minds, as it were, the intelligence in the application or the end device combined with my network to, to do almost intent-based uh, networking to understand what's happening and deliver it down a quick path. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks very much, Ray. That's been uh, really interesting. It's, uh, it's great to talk to you. And um, yeah, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. That was a great interview. Um, really interesting topic. Um, what stood out to you in terms of, you know, having had a chance to kind of reflect back on your discussion with him? Was there anything that we didn't discuss earlier that uh, was either surprising to you or thought you thought was particularly interesting? 
Yeah, I thought what was an interesting point was this, um, you know, if we go back to the to the history of the satellites, they were, were put in because that was all we could get connectivity to. Mm -hmm. yeah, in fact, when I first came to Australia, the only way I could actually get connectivity into my house was for a satellite connectivity. Um, but we've, we've we, we sort of changed that over the, the age and they kind of not dropped out of fashion, but they stayed around there. But with the advancement of these low, low Earth orbital stuff, we start to see this change now where it's becoming, it, yes, it's the, it's the best option for, for, for bang for buck, but it is also uh, changing the, the usage of the satellites. Mm. Now, where once they were expensive and they were, oh, that's the last resort, they're now starting to be thought of more and more. You know, mm. and if you take that rural type of scenario where, where we've got, you mentioned around the FCC funding uh, aspect from there, there's no need to actually go and put sort of a whole bunch of 5G towers up there. It becomes cost prohibitive. So this low, uh, the LEO stuff becomes really um, uh, uh, useful. But it also then becomes that we start to consider things like um, the Internet of Things and this mobile connectivity. This right. is the best way to connect, to connect these systems up. So I guess an interesting point for me was it's moving into mainstream and the yeah. application owners themselves and as well as the onus on them to deliver over it have to be aware that these are going to be part of their delivery system and have to understand the characteristics of how the applications are going to um, uh, uh, perform across those types of links because it may well be their last mile solution they need to uh, satisfy and as we said meet their end user experience. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a that's a really great point. So maybe something they need to get ahead of uh, now. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our show. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us this week, Mike. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. And uh, for those of you who do subscribe, we have a free T-shirt that you can pick up. Just simply send a note to internetreport at thousandeyes.com, and you can also drop in comments or suggestions or questions to that email address as well. Uh, so take care. Um, and you can also find us and some of uh, the videos from our event that we had a couple of weeks ago at our YouTube channel. So uh, until next week, have a great week. Thanks very much. <laughs>